just want to welcome you one more time. And again, my name is Jordan Massey. I have the privilege of serving at the Southwest Campus. I'm so thankful to be here with you today. We've been in this series called Reach Up. And we've been talking about what we as a people do, what we participate in to, to reach, reach up to God and encounter him in worship. And so the first week we looked at prayer and we talked about the prayer life of Jesus and this vibrant prayer life that he had that led to a vibrant kingdom work. And last week we looked at the act of praise and how we celebrate a God who's worth celebrating. But this week, if you can't tell, we're going to be looking at the act of reading God's word. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open up to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. But before we jump into the text, I think it's fitting uh, that you hear my story with the word. You know, we all come, we all came here with a story with God's word. Maybe some of you aren't, aren't familiar at all with God's word, with the Bible. Some of you have a long story, a longer story than mine with the Bible, but mine began as a child, as really as a baby. Andrea and I, we were both born and raised in the church. We're from cities not too far from here. Palatka, Florida is where Andrea's from. I'm from Interlaken, Florida, uh, with the extra R for any of you locals in here. And a lot of you got that, that was awesome. But we're from, we're from small towns, and small towns in North Florida, it's kind of the Bible Belt, so we, we, we grew up in church. And I was raised with the Bible. You know, my first memory with the Bible was this kid's Bible called the Salty Kid's Bible. Raise your hand if you know Salty. Who knows Salty? All right, a few more than the, the, the first service. If you don't know who Salty is, you know, I don't really encourage you to look into it, um, it's a little scary. It wasn't scary as a kid, and, and praise the Lord, it was an awesome ministry, but Salty was this living songbook. In other words, Salty was a grown man who dressed in a giant blue songbook, right? And he would go around, and there was this, kind of like this show, there were all these different characters, and they would sing these songs, and there were the, the Salty praises, P-S-A-L-T-Y, clever, right? But there was a salty Bible, right? Salty compiled this Bible. It was, it was the Bible. He didn't write a Bible. But there were devotionals, salty devotionals and salty songs that were uh, with the scripture that you were reading. And my first memory with the Bible was this salty kid's Bible. And for whatever reason, my only memories of it were like it was really weathered and worn. So maybe I got like a hand-me-down. But I remember this blue Bible with... The, the cartoon version of Salty on the front. And I just remember that so clearly, even as a young child. But after that, my, my next memories really come from Awanas. Who's familiar with Awanas and knows, knows what that is? Awanas is a program that kids go through that really the thrust is scripture memorization. And so you go through it, you start at what's called a cubby, and then you're a sparky, I think. I can't even remember all these things. And as you go through, you're, you're memorizing scripture. That's, that's how you move forward. That's how you get your badge. That's, that's what you do. So I, I remember Awanas. And then when I was in middle school, I started getting really involved in my student ministry. And so my memories about the Bible and middle school really come from hearing from my pastor preach the word, being in Bible studies and, and going through that for the first time, really kind of answering questions about the word, and then going to camp and, right, and hearing these awesome preachers and teachers and communicators and, and hearing the word. And then when I got to, to high school, uh, it was kind of a shift for me. For most of my life, I had been uh, learning about the word, but in high school, I actually started teaching the word. And so I was 
teaching in middle schools. During lunchtime, I was leading these small groups for middle schoolers. And then when I was in ninth grade, I was given the first opportunity to preach. And so I was in the Word, teaching and preaching on top of all the other things and listening and weekly at Sunday, hearing those sermons and, and a long story, even up to high school, a long story with the Word. But by junior year, I knew I was called to ministry because I'd been teaching and preaching the word and I loved it so much. And so I knew I was called to ministry. And so what I go to, I went to, to school in my undergrad. I majored in biblical and theological studies. And you can imagine as a biblical and theological major, uh, you read the Bible a lot, right? And so I read the Bible a lot. I took classes like exploring the Old Testament, exploring the New Testament classes like systematic theology, evangelism and apologetics, Greek one, two, three, and four, and was in the Bible all the time. And then I got to seminary, and in seminary, guess what? You read the Bible a lot. Took classes like the Gospel of John and Matthew and Acts of the Apostles and the Minor Prophets and First and Second Samuel and Genesis and all these classes, First Corinthians, on the Bible. But something crazy happened my first semester of seminary. My first semester of seminary, I was spending hours in the Word. Not, not just hours a week, I mean hours daily, right? I'm writing papers. I'm preparing for the next class. I'm constantly in the Word, reading the Word. And this is on top of a lifetime of having read the Word, spent time in the Word, and heard over and over and over again. And here I am, first semester of seminary. I'm reading the Word, and I'm just exhausted. Absolutely exhausted. You could say, tired of the Word. And I was sitting there, I was so confused. Because I was told and I believed that reading God's word was supposed to be refreshing, restoring, was supposed to edify me and give me strength and shape and mold me into the image of Jesus. And here I was spending so much time in God's word. And I was so exhausted. I didn't want to read it. The only reason I read it is because I had another paper to write. The only reason I read it is because I had a homework assignment that I had to do. I just wasn't motivated. I was exhausted. And some of you, you may be sitting here, I think many of you may be sitting here and you might identify with that. And you may say, Jordan, that's anecdotal. You're making an assumption. Well, no, the, uh, actually some of it is based in, in data, right? The, the Barna poll, everybody knows Barna poll. Barna poll did a survey last year in 2017, found out that 87% of American families actually have a Bible in their home, which is somewhat surprising, 87%. Last year, 61 of the believed was committed to reading God's word more, right? We just made our New Year's resolutions that may have been on your New Year's resolutions. 61% of evangelicals last year committed to reading God's word more, and only 15% of them did. Only 15% of them did. In 2012, Life we did a survey. I know that's six years ago, but based on cultural trends, we have to actually think this is probably worse now. In 2012, Lifeway did a survey and found that 80% of all churchgoers, not people, 80% of all churchgoers admitted to not reading their Bible daily. 80%. It's eight out of 10 people right here in this room. And so it confuses me. It confused me my first semester of seminary. We believe, and I wholeheartedly believed that the word was important, that the word was essential, that the word was what strengthened and edified me. But here I was reading it hour after hour after hour, and I was just burnt out, dried out, exhausted. And some of you may be the same way, but here's, here's what I found out. Here's this kind of revelation that the Lord showed me. My whole life, from the time I was a child, I had been going to the word looking for something else. 
We're going to call that something else X, right? Like this is an equation. I'd been going to the word looking for X. And in different seasons of my life, it was a different thing. When I was a child, the X was very you know, I saw my mom every morning getting up and having her quiet time. And I just wanted her to know that I cared about the word the way she cared about the word. And so I'd get my salty kids Bible out and I'd read my salty devotional. I'd sing my salty song and my mom would see that. My dad would see that. And that, that made me happy because it made them happy. That was the X when I was a kid. When I was in Awanas, the X was getting the next badge, right? I had to memorize those scriptures so I could get the next badge. And to be honest, it was probably to impress some girls, right? This is the context I come from. I memorized scripture to impress girls, Okay gives you a picture. But I was looking for something else, going to the Word, looking for something else. When I got to middle school, probably was still to impress girls. I'm not going to lie. In my small groups, I wanted to have the best answers. I wanted to look like the smartest guy, and so I'd do the Bible studies well. I'd answer those questions well. I wanted to be ready. I was always going, looking for something else. When I got into high school, it was a paradigm shift because I was going to the Word, looking for something for someone else, Right? I started teaching, and so I was going to the Word, looking for a truth that I could then give to someone else that they could be shaped and molded by. And then when I got to college, I was looking for a paper. I was looking for some original cool idea that I could write 15 pages on, and my professor would give me an A. My whole life, I went to the Word looking for something else, and my fear is that a lot of you may identify with that. Because a lot of you, you've been teaching life groups. Some of you have been teaching a life group for 30 to 40 years. It's time after time, hour after hour, and you have gone to the Word looking for a truth that you can lead your people with. Some of you have had friends and family members who your whole life, they've been doubting the Lord, doubting the existence of God, doubting the bodily resurrection of Jesus or whatever it is. So you've been going to the Word looking for answers for them. And you're going to the Word and you're, you're looking for something to give. Some of you have been just reading to appease someone. Maybe it's your spouse, and so you read with them to, to make them happy. And look, I don't want you to hear me wrong. Studying for your life group is an honorable thing. It needs to be done. After all, I had to study for this sermon, right? <laughs> Studying to be able to answer someone's question is an honorable thing, and it needs to be done. These are not bad things. Going to the Word, looking for something is not a bad thing. It's only a bad thing when it's the only thing. And I spent my whole life with that as the only thing. Going to the Word, looking for X, going to the Word, looking for something else. But my first semester of seminary, I came across some writings by our early church fathers, guys that were writing in like the first, second century. And their approach to the Word changed me, changed my approach to the word. It's a biblical approach to the word. For them, they didn't go to the word looking for something else. For them, the word was the very thing that they were looking for. For them, they didn't go to the word looking for the X. For them, the word was the X. That the actual reading of the word was an opportunity for God to speak into their life. It was an opportunity for God to shape and mold them. It was an opportunity to literally step into the presence of God. They didn't go to the word looking for something else. The word was what they were looking for. And so this morning, I just want to encourage us with this simple, but for me, it was a life-changing idea. 
and that hopefully we will leave this morning and we won't be exhausted, that we'll be refreshed, restored, renewed by the word. And so here's what I want you to know. If you have pen, if you have paper, I encourage our people at the Southwest Campus this uh, every week that if you don't write something down, you'll probably forget it. And so there's a pen in front of you if you want to grab something that you can write on. I encourage you to write this down. If you go out the door with this idea, I'm a happy man. And here it is. When we encounter the word, we encounter the Lord. When we encounter the word, we encounter the Lord. What I want you to see is that when we read God's word, we aren't going looking for something else. We're going looking to step into the presence of God. That when we read God's word, we're literally allowing God to speak into our life. You see, I used to think that I would go to God's word and I would find the way that God works in the world and then I'd be able to recognize when he was working, right? So I go to the word, I find this rule book, I close it and then I'm looking for it. And the whole time God was wanting to work right then, right there when I was reading to speak and act in my life. And so when we read the word, we encounter the Lord. When we encounter the word, we encounter the Lord. And so this morning, we're gonna do something a little different. This isn't gonna be your typical expository sermon. I'm sorry if you came looking for that. Uh, I won't be here next week, so if you're mad at me, you can just tell someone else, okay? Um, Or you can come to Southwest Campus. I'd love to to see you there. We're gonna look at two different passages. And here's what I want you to see. We're gonna look at the story in Nehemiah chapter eight. And in the story in Nehemiah chapter eight, the people encounter the word of God. And then we're going to look at this story in Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, it's a passage that you may be familiar with. Isaiah encounters the Lord himself, the presence of God. What I want you to see is in both of these stories, the same exact things happen. In both of these stories, the same exact things happen. And I want you to know and be encouraged and challenged that when we encounter the word, we encounter the Lord. That when we read God's word, we're literally stepping into the presence of God, allowing God to speak, that we'll stop going and looking for something else, that we will let the word be what we are looking for. And so Nehemiah chapter eight, let's jump into this story. Let's see what happens here. Let's see the movement here. And then we're gonna look briefly to Isaiah and then I'll give you some concluding thoughts and we will be done here. Nehemiah chapter eight, verse one. Nehemiah chapter eight, verse one. It says, and all the people gathered as one man, they gathered together into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of the Moses that Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. And on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from, ever, from early morning until midday in the presence of men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood all of these names that if I pronounce, I'd be embarrassed. And in verse five, and Ezra opened the book and the all the people, for he was of all the people. And as he opened it to all the people, they stood, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people, amen, amen. Can I get an amen, church? All right. Lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, some more names that I don't want to pronounce this morning. All those people and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. 
And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who taught, and the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. Let's stop there, church. I want you to see what happens here. It's important to know the context, right? The people of Israel, they've been in Babylon. They've been in exile, away from their home, finally back in their home, thanks to this decree from Cyrus. They're, they're finally back in their home, and Zerubbabel is doing his thing. Zerubbabel's off, and he's leading this movement to rebuild the temple. And Ezra's doing his thing, and Ezra's off, and he's leading this movement to refine and restore the Torah community. And Nehemiah, he's doing his thing, and he's off, and he's leading this movement to rebuild the walls. Everything's coming back together. But the people recognize one thing. They say, hey, we can have a wall. Hey, we can have our laws. Hey, we can have the, the temple. But if we aren't a people that are about the word of God, we are the people of God. And so they say, Ezra, read it. Read it. And so they make this platform for him. And he gets up on the platform, and Ezra reads the word of the Lord. He reads the law of Moses. And the people say, Amen, Amen. And they lift their hands. And then the Levites and all of these other leaders, they, they, I imagine in my head, they break up into small groups, right? Uh, they, they break up into small groups, and the Levites and all the leaders, they explain the word. So the word has been read, and now it's applied. It's taught to them. And how do the people respond? They weep. They weep. I, you know, I imagine this. This is just my weird brain, probably. But I imagine this, like Ezra and Nehemiah, they, they weren't expecting this, right? Uh, husbands, have you ever done something, like, really sweet for your wife? And you're expecting her to just be happy, but she cries? And you just don't know what to do with it? You're, like, frozen like a deer in headlights, like, ah, ah, I, I, thought, I thought this was going to be a good thing. And in all reality, it's a good thing, but you just don't know how to respond. Like Ezra and Nehemiah, I feel like that's the way they were. They, they have this big hoorah moment. The people are saying amen, amen, and the word is explained to them. And then all of a sudden, the people are crying, and they're like, hey, what's going on? Don't mourn. Rejoice. The, the Lord's working. The Lord's moving. But the people are like, oh, okay. But why are they weeping? They're weeping because they've been convicted of their sin. And so the first thing we see here in this movement, in this Nehemiah story, is that the word convicts of sin. That the people hear the word of God proclaimed. They hear God's plan and God's design for their life. And after hearing it, they evaluate and they look at their own life and they see the gap. They see how far away they are from who God wants them to be. And so their response is to weep. The word convicts of sin. It shows us how broken we are. It showed the people right here just how broken they were. That's not the only movement we see here, though. The word first convicts of sin, and then chapter 9. I, if, if I really wanted to, to draw this out, I would read all of chapter 9, but we're not going to do that, okay? But just know, chapter 9 is this awesome, awesome chapter. And what the people of Israel do They've been convicted of their sin. Ezra and Nehemiah say, don't weep, rejoice. The Lord's moving. He's working. This is the day of the Lord. And then in chapter 9, they retell their story. They retell it, almost the whole thing. Right? They start with the creation account and how the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And then they retell the Abrahamic covenant. And then they retell the Mosaic exodus. And then they retell the Mosaic covenant. And then they retell their wanderings in the wilderness. And then they retell their time in the promised land and their time in Jerusalem. And then they retell their time in Babylon and the exile. And then finally they conclude and they're like, here we are. After all of this, here we are as a people. We stand here and we're committing to the word of the Lord but they retell their story. 
And so the second thing that we see that the, the word of the Lord does is that the word tells them their story. It doesn't just convict them of sin, but it shows them who they are as a people and, and something that they recognize is that they as a people are a people who failed to obey the law of the Lord. That they look back at all of these major movements and they say, we, we failed. When we were at Mount Sinai, we failed. When we were in the wilderness, we failed. When we were in Jerusalem, we failed. And now we stand before you as a people who have failed and we wanna start anew, start fresh. But they recognize their story. They know who they are as a people. The word convicts of sin. The word tells them their story. And then third, the third movement we see here is that the word shows them how to live. The word shows them how to live. Nehemiah chapter eight, look at verses 13 through 15. It says, on the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests, the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seven months, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. So in verse 16, so the people went out and bought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. What happens here? The people hear the word, they say, this is how we are to live and they take action. Look at verse, chapter nine, verse 38. The people say, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. A firm covenant in writing. What is that covenant? Well, go to chapter 10, look at chapter 10. Verse 28, it says, The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, everyone, right? We, everyone. Join with their brothers and their nobles and enter into a curse and an oath to do what? Walk in God's law. The people aren't just left in their sin, right? The word convicts them of their sin. The word tells them their story, but they aren't left there. They aren't left in their failure. The word shows them how to live. And we see this movement here where the people of God say, we are gonna follow the law of the Lord. We are gonna, as God designed, we are gonna commit to these statutes and these ordinances that God gave us. The word convicts of sin. The word tells their story. The word shows them how to live. And that's what we see right here in this Nehemiah passage the work of the word. Why don't you turn with me to Isaiah chapter six. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter six. I hope you're gonna see the connection here. I think to me, in my head, it's pretty clear, but you can ask Andrea, there's a lot of things that are clear in my head that end up not being clear when they come out of my mouth. I heard a lot of men laughing. Isaiah chapter six. Look at verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. Let's stop there. 
I hope you see what happens here. In Nehemiah chapter 8, right, the word is proclaimed and the people realize how broken they are. In Isaiah chapter 6, the Lord is seen and Isaiah realizes how broken he is. The first movement we see here in this passage is that the Lord convicts of sin. Just like in Nehemiah chapter 8, when the word is heard, the people are convicted of sin. In Isaiah chapter 6, when the Lord is seen, Isaiah is convicted of his sin. You see, I hope you see the connection there. Let's, let's keep reading. We're not done. Chapter, uh, verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5. Woe is me, I am lost, I am a man of unclean lips. What is his next statement? And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah doesn't just recognize who he is as a broken sinner. Isaiah is suddenly very familiar with his story. He knows who his people are. He knows that he is a member and a part of this people who have failed to obey the law of the Lord. Just like in Nehemiah, when they hear the word, they know their story. They know the story of their failure to obey the law of the Lord. Right here, Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah sees the Lord, he knows his people and their inability to follow the law of the Lord. The Lord tells his story. Tells his story. We're not done. I hope you know where, where we're going. If you don't know where we're going, then maybe I'm not doing a good job. I hope, I hope, I hope you see this. In verse 8, look at this. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. You all know that verse. Here I am, send me. The Lord convicts Isaiah of his sin and his brokenness. He doesn't leave him there. He shows his people who they are and how broken his people is, but he doesn't leave him there. He says, hey, I've got a way for you. The Lord shows him how to live. The Lord shows him how to live. Just like in Nehemiah chapter eight, when the people of God hear the word, they're shown how to live. In Isaiah chapter six, when Isaiah steps into the presence of God, he's shown how to live. He's given away forward. I hope you see the connection between these two stories. That when we encounter the word, we are encountering the Lord. That this just isn't any book. This isn't just a place for us to go and find someone else, something else. No, this is a place where we go and when we read, we are stepping into the presence of God. And what's more powerful and life-changing than stepping into the presence of God? So stop reading for X. Stop going here looking for something else. This is what you need. This is life. This is an opportunity for the Lord to speak into your life. And so my challenge for us this morning is, is very simple. And if there's people here from the Southwest campus, you know this is normally the way my challenges are. I'm not very creative, but I think it's pretty simple. My challenge for us is firstly, read the word. Read the word. Let's break that trend of 80% of churchgoers who don't read the word daily. And let's break that trend by actually reading the word. Not reading for something else. No, reading the word, spending time 
with the Lord. You see, when I was in seminary and I had that paradigm shift, I suddenly wasn't exhausted. I suddenly wasn't tired of reading the word. No, I wanted to go to the word because I knew by going to the word, I was going to the Lord. I knew that by going to the word, I was stepping into the presence of God and allowing him to speak into my life. And so put X away for a little while. Now, again, it's honorable, it's noble. You need to prepare your life group. Life group leaders, don't go to life group next Sunday saying, Pastor Jordan told me not to prepare for my life group. I don't have a lesson for you. We're all just gonna read together. Don't do that. But we need to be spending time daily where we can put X away and we can just read and be with God. Stop trying to do something to the word and allow the word to do something to you. Allow it to speak and shape and mold you. Allow God to speak and shape and mold you. Read the word. Let's be a people who commit to that this week. Can we do that? Can we commit as a community to read the word this week and moving forward to put X aside and just allow God to speak into our life, allow ourselves to step into the presence of God? Read the word. My second challenge for you is proclaim the word. Now, it's important that you don't miss what's happening here in Nehemiah chapter eight. In Nehemiah chapter eight, the word is read. Now, some people will say, well, the people of Israel, they, they may have been illiterate, right? They couldn't actually read, and so they had to have the word read to them. But no matter what, we see this dependence on the people to have the word read to them. What I want you to know is that the people in our community, they are not going to encounter the word of God unless you speak it. They're not going to encounter the presence of God unless you invite them into it. You see, when Ezra, when he steps up on that platform and he reads the word, he's doing more than just reading words. He's inviting people into the presence of God. Let's be a church that invites our community into the presence of God. And here's what I don't mean. I don't mean you go downtown with your box and your megaphone, right? What, what do we see here? The, Nehemiah, yeah, he's up on a box. Yeah, he's proclaiming the word. But the peoples, the Hebrew says literally that their ears were turned, that they were attentive to the word. The only way to encounter the presence of God is if you're actually listening. So what I want to encourage us with is we proclaim the word to our friends, our family, to those who might listen. And we proclaim it with our lips, we proclaim it with our lives. We invite people to the presence of God through the word of God. Read the word. Proclaim the word. Because when we encounter the, we're encountering the Lord, we're stepping into the presence of God.